I've got a new pulpit, so I've got to adjust myself on the, on the spur of moment here. One of the most important things when I stand to preach is to get familiar with the pulpit, so I'm trying to do that right now. But let's uh, again turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, let me just read one verse, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Let's again go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we again are thankful we have a God who we know loves us, a God who cares for us, a God who will never, ever leave us nor forsake us. And so we again come into your presence asking you to be gracious and kind and merciful. Give each of us what we need. We know that left to ourselves we cannot understand one spiritual truth. And so we cry to you, for the help of your Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of truth to lead us and to guide us into truth. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us all to have these thoughts and these principles and these truths lodged into our hearts and minds so as we continue to seek to run that race and run it well, that these truths would constantly shape our thinking and shape our living. So again, Lord, we plead that you would come, draw near to us, and we ask this in your Son's name. Amen. You, you could say that every Christian is an Olympic runner or marathoner. And as one gets older, one tends to think, at least I have, more about wanting to finish the race well. Will my faith fail me? Am I going to make it? C.H. Spurgeon said, A dark fear plagues the minds of many who are coming to Christ. They are afraid that they shall not persevere to the end. And it's easy to understand why when you realize what we're up against. For one... This world has never been a friend of grace, and this world is full of distractions and seductions that can easily trip us up. Another reason why we should be afraid of not finishing the race well and persevering to the end is that there is a supernatural foe named the devil, and he is diabolical to the core. And he knows more about you and me than we know about him. And when the the Bible catches the devil on camera, it's somewhat frightening. He's likened to a ferocious lion on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour. But there's something else that makes the life so hard, this Christian life. We have the enemy within called the flesh. And we're told in Galatians 5, the flesh lusts against the spirit. We have to contend daily with remaining sin and corruption. 
But knowing all of that, knowing all that we are up against, you can understand why the fear of making it to the end might be a real legitimate fear. But we have to run this race. There's no question about that. It is a necessity. We must persevere, and we must persevere to the end. And no one ran this race better, at least from my perspective, and I think you could argue that from Scripture, than the Apostle Paul. He could say at the back end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, I have finished the race. And here's the big question. How can we run this race and run it well? One thing you need to keep in mind, and probably we kind of realize that this is one of the great reasons why God gave us the church, is that we can't run it alone. God uses means. God uses his word, he uses his spirit, but he also uses his people. And he uses what we could call Christian friends. If you're going to run this race and run it well, you must foster relationships and I would argue good, solid Christian friendships. How do we keep friends? How do we make friends? Well, we've been answering that question and trying to understand what a true friend is. I have four practical counsels, okay? This is a little bit more practical. Be intentional, number one. Be intentional, number two. Be watchful, number three. Be careful, and number four, be thankful. Those are the four practical counsels. Be intentional, be watchful, be careful, be thankful. So let's consider these one by one. Number one, be intentional. Today's culture does not provide great encouragement for the nurture and the development of deep longing friendships. We've said that Several times, it's worth saying again, the crass individualism of our culture doesn't encourage long-lasting friendships. And the busyness of life, it's easy to become consumed with work and family, understandably so, but that often limits or negates spending time with our friends. Plus, Social media, Facebook, gives us what you could call a pseudo-friendship. A breadth of friendship, but not a depth of friendship. And then there's the problem, as we've already mentioned, of our own hearts. Selfishness and pride is probably the biggest killer of friendships. Hugh Black, I've referred to him several times. This was written way back in the 1800s. He understood the importance of friendship living back in the days of Spurgeon. Hugh Black puts it this way, pretty bluntly. The self-centered person cannot keep friends even when he makes them. The selfish, in the end, never get anything but selfishness. Plus, we don't realize just how delicate and fragile friendships can be. They are often broken or fractured like a 
fragile piece of china. I had a friendship that I felt was breached by trust several years ago, and I told the brother, you've shattered the teacup of trust. I'll build it back, my friend, but it's going to take time. Fragile, delicate is friendship. But like any relationship, they just don't happen. We have to take initiative. There's some planning, you could even say uh, some deliberation on our part. Just like the marriage relationship is a friendship, it's, it's more than that, but it's not less than that. And the Bible assumes that when it comes to marriage, I think we all would see that, there has to be some concerted effort. Proverbs 18, verse 22 said, He who finds, who finds a wife finds a good thing. That assumes you've done some searching, right? He who finds a wife, a good wife, or finds a wife finds a good thing. To find a wife it requires initiative. It requires deliberation. It takes some time. It just doesn't happen. And all men, if you find a wife, you know to find that wife, you had to try to win her as well. And how did you do that? Well, there was some effort, wasn't there? You had to pay her some compliments. Maybe you told her a hundred times over how beautiful she was, how much you loved her. You gave her gifts. You listened to her. You talked. You shared. You made phone calls. You had dinner engagements. You took trips. You were the most romantic guy on planet Earth. Marriage requires effort, not just to find, but to keep. Dr. R.C. Sproul said one of the biggest problems in marriages is that men stop courting their wives. It's all too easy, he says, for married men to view their wives with steadily diminishing importance once the wedding is over. And if that can happen to the best of friendships, the wife friendship, it can happen to the lesser friendships far more easily and quickly. Pastor Kent Hughes in a book titled The Disciplines of the Godly Life, it talks about friends and he says, few of the truly valuable things in life just don't happen. Usually when they do, it's because we recognize the value and importance. We generally get what we set our sights on. It's the same with friendship. Those who have friends place importance on them. They prioritize them. Dr. Joel Beakey, in that book I mentioned earlier, in one of the earlier sessions, Lovers and Friends, it's essentially about marriage, but he deals with friendship. He said, the tender plant of friendship does not deepen and grow automatically. We have to be intentional caretakers 
and stewards of those gifts that God's given us. I'm sure you know that John Newton, the great preacher and pastor, he was a man who was also involved in fighting against the slave trade. He was a slave trader once himself, but he had a close friendship with William Cooper for 12 plus years, and William Cooper struggled a lot with severe depression. I think he tried to commit suicide two or three times, but he understood friendship. He spent 12 years again cultivating that friendship with William Cooper, and he said, I think to a feeling mind, there's no pleasure equal to the pleasure of friendship. Spurgeon, Spurgeon's always right, listen to him. Spurgeon said, he who would be happy here, that's right here, must have friends. So if you want friends and you want to keep friends, can I suggest you have a maintenance program? Be intentional. Secondly, be watchful. Be watchful. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that to have long-term <coughs> friendships will be a challenge. If friendship is one of God's most precious gifts and treasures, if friendships is one of the instruments that God uses to keep us running that race, to keep us on that straight and narrow and running well, you can be sure that there will be constant threats and attacks upon your friendship. You can go right back to Genesis chapter 3, the devil. As soon as he goes after our first parents, that's really what he's trying to do. He's trying to destroy that marriage. He's trying to destroy that friendship. His very first attack upon mankind was an attack upon a precious friendship. It's interesting what uh, the Song of Solomon says. The bride says of her husband, this is my beloved, speaking of her husband, and this is my friend. But the devil, right from the outset, seeks to destroy the very first original human friendship between Adam and Eve. But he really had a bigger agenda, didn't he? He wants to destroy the friendship with God. That's what he's after. He wants that friendship with God to implode. If they sinned, the devil was sure it was all over. And the devil is still on a seek and destroy mission of marriages and friendship. He, he never stops. And if you're going to protect your marriage, your friendship, we have to be alert and aware of the devil's stratagems and strategies. Yes, every Christian marriage and friendship is in the crosshairs of the evil one. He tried to destroy the friendship of Jesus and Peter. Remember that? And if Jesus had not prayed for Peter and had not forgiven his friend, that friendship would have been lost. So be on red alert. In the words of Jesus, watch and pray. That's the first major temptation when it comes to the danger and the challenge to maintaining long-term friendships, what you might call vintage wine friendships, 
second major temptation and danger. We're on the second principle, be watchful. You must watch and guard against the wrong kind of friends. To have long-lasting friendships, you have to choose the right friends for the right reasons. And the reason why some friends don't last is because right in the outset you made bad choices. You can choose friends for the wrong reasons or we can choose the wrong people. And there are three kinds of friendships that the Bible warns us against. I did pull a couple of these words from Kevin DeYoung. I don't develop the same way he did. But he talked about fake friends and foul friends. And I would argue there's a third category, too many friends, right? Fake friends, foul friends, and too many friends. The fake friend is the one who wants to be your friend, or you want to be his friend, and really what you want to do is use that person for your own purposes. It's a fair-weather friend. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth brings many friends. doesn't say character or faithfulness brings many friends, but wealth brings many friends. Proverbs 19, 6. Everyone is a friend of the one who gives gifts. Fake friends are friends for ulterior motives. And we live in a very materialistic-oriented culture, and that can factor into the choice of friends. Wealth attracts friends like honey attracts bears. Why do people latch on to the rich and famous? Tom Cruises and the Tom Brady's of the world? The good-looking prom queen or the star quarterback on the high school college team. As long as they are on the fast track, climbing the ladder, rolling in dough, they have lots of friends. But they're not the best of friends, are they? Jesus had one of those, one of those friends. His name was Judas. Judas thought Jesus was going to serve his selfish, materialistic ambitions. Remember, he was a thief. He loved money. We were told that. He had that money bag. And his friendship with Jesus was more of a business transaction. False friends or fake friends don't love you. They love the stuff. They love the favors. You're more of a vehicle than anything else to get them where they want to go. Watch out for fake friends. Second danger when it comes to the kind of friends you need to watch about and protect yourself from are foul friends, foul friends. The Bible warns of making friends with an angry man, lest you become like him. Don't make friends with men who have a high degree of depravity, and that depravity can impact you and influence you. A man given to anger. 
Don't make friendship with the world, says the Bible. Remember the story of Pinocchio? You don't read Pinocchio, any guys? He made some bad choices with regard to friends, didn't he? Pinocchio gets scammed by the fox and the cat, and he ends up on Pleasure Island, where bad boys smoke cigars and drink beer and shoot pool. C.S. Lewis says, Friendship can be a school of virtue, but also a school of vice. It makes good men better and bad men worse. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 12, 26. The way of the wicked leads them astray. So be watchful. Be watchful when it comes to your friends. There are bad friends. There are fake friends. There are foul friends. And there are too many friends. The Bible warns about too many friends. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. Again, Hugh Black, before there was internet, says in his book on friendship, titled, subtitled, Life's Greatest Joy, the commonest mistake we make is that we spread our friendship over a mass over a mass, and have no depth of heart left. I think that's perceptive. You've got a mass of friends, lots of friends, but no deep friendship. Don't settle for social media friends or Facebook friends. If you're a friend of everybody, that probably means you're a friend of nobody. And we are creatures with limitations. We have a limited capacity as far as how much time we can invest in friendships. Probably one of the greatest dangers of social media today is it provides convenient friendships. Easy Friendships, digital connections that don't make any real demands upon me. They really don't cost me. And so I can switch them in or switch them out just like a TV or a computer. The emphasis upon the Bible is upon quality, not quantity. Depth, not breadth. And even Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect friend, had, you could say, friendships with all his disciples at a deeper level. But he also seemed to target or get deeper in his relationships with three disciple friends. Be watchful because of a personal devil. Be watchful because of the temptations of friendships. Fake friends, foul friends, too many friends. Third reason to be watchful, still under this second Major head, be watchful of your heart because you bring your heart to this matter of friendships. And yes, as Christians, we have changed hearts. 
We are no longer under the dominion of sin. We have new hearts, but they are not perfect hearts. And so there will never be a perfect friendship or a relationship this side of heaven where there isn't some area of disappointment, where something is not said or done that mars or is stained because of sin. Sin is always destructive. And it's not just the sin of your friend, but it's your sin too. And that's probably what you should worry more about than his sin or her sin is your sin. Friendship will not last if you don't guard your hearts. The sin of selfishness, pride, anger, jealousy have stained, fractured, broken most every friendship on planet Earth. We become possessive of friends. We're not willing to share our friends. Sometimes we become envious and jealous of our friends. Sometimes pride gets into the mix. Nothing worse than pride, as I said earlier. Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride brings contention. Arrogance leads to strife. Most of the battles and squabbles we have with people in this life can be traced back to pride. Remember Christ's own disciples. What were they arguing about? It seems more than anything else. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? I want to be famous. Proud people are not easy people to get along with. They generally have to have the last word. Always have to have their own way. Never admit they're wrong. Peter's pride and self-confidence almost destroyed his friendship with Jesus. He was convinced, wasn't he, that he was, he was the best of the best. Of all the disciples, friends of Jesus, he was the one guy who wouldn't bolt and run when things got tough. He, he would be there. He, he's loyal, Mr. Loyal. He's so confident that he's the, the best of the best, Mr. Faithful. And yet we find him when he's in the pressure cooker of temptation, he suddenly becomes a sniveling coward. To maintain friendships, keep them, be intentional, be watchful. The third thing I would say in terms of friendships, be careful, be careful. And and the thing I want to focus on here is, is why it's a little bit different than what we've already said, is be careful when it comes to the use of your tongue. The tongue is likened to a piercing sword. Proverbs 12, verse 18, like... Rash words are likened to sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There's no member of the body that is addressed more in your Bible than the tongue. I find it interesting that Proverbs has been considered to be a treatise on friendship, and there's 50 verses in Proverbs on the use of the tongue, at least 50, maybe more. So so what's that telling us? Well, you're going to going to have friends, you've got to 
guard your tongue. You've got to watch your tongue. You've got to make good use of your words. Friendships will either grow, mature, or decline and decay depending upon your tongue. So we have to be careful with our words. And there's three ways to describe the words of a wise friend. I picked this up from a commentator. I don't know, remember who it was several years ago. But he used the C word, C word for, three C words for the kind of words that must be utilized if you're going to be a faithful, wise friend. I thought, real good words, simple to remember. A wise, faithful friend will speak earnest words of counsel. That's the first C word. Earnest words of counsel. A wise, faithful friend, second C word, will speak faithful words of correction. And then the third C word, a wise, faithful friend will speak consistent words of comfort. So those are the three words. Counsel, correction, and comfort. Let's work through them real quickly. Counsel, Proverbs 27.9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend bring, springs from his earnest counsel. Words of wise counsel are likened to perfume and incense. In the Middle East, that culture, precious ointment and perfume was considered to be the most precious and delightful of commodities or treasures. And some of the most precious words that you and I can bring to the ears of another human being are words of counsel. Life, for all of us, sooner or later, gets confusing and complicated. Like mice in a maze, we find ourselves in situations where we really don't know what to do, where to go, what to say. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's the discipline with one of your handicapped children. Maybe it's an in-law problem. Maybe it's a chronic health problem. Maybe you're struggling with infertility, miscarriage, gender issues. And you find yourself paralyzed with indecision. A wise friend can help you navigate through those situations. And the stress is on wise. Stress is on wisdom. Wise friends. That's really what the book of Proverbs is about. A wise father giving instructions so he'll have a wise son. Wise friends are friends who have their noses in their Bibles and are regulating their lives by those Bibles. They are friends who have walked with God. Remember again, the book of Proverbs is about wisdom. That's different from brain smarts. There's a difference between the person who has a high IQ and someone who's wise. There's lots of people who can run corporations and are super smart, 
but they can be fools at one and the same time. And what you need in life to navigate life is not the so-called experts. It's a wise friend. A person who is seeking to live for God's glory and who can give you wise counsel. And that's a good reason why you should maintain and have a long-lasting friendship to receive earnest counsel. Friends generally know you better than anybody else. They should if it's a true friend. They know your weaknesses. They know how you handle your sorrows. They know how you handle your joys. They know some of the sins you struggle with. They know how you, how you deal with conflict and suffering. And they can give you insight that even a professional counselor or expert cannot give. You, you hear a lot of talk today about accountability. I recently read, I think the guy's right. He said, I've never seen accountability work unless it's embedded in friendship. A faithful friend gives earnest counsel. Second thing we can say about a faithful friend and what he does when it comes to words, a wise, faithful friend gives faithful correction. Faithful correction. You could say that a friend will speak in your life and not just when you're facing tough decisions, but when you are about to make bad decisions. Friends choose their words carefully, and there's going to be times when you have to correct your friend, and vice versa. Your friend has to correct you. It goes both ways. True friendship will sometimes exercise, you might even call it blunt honesty. You could call it respectful confrontation. Not to harm you, but to help you. The Bible says open rebuke is better than hidden love. And to help your friend might mean you have to Hurt your friend at times. Faithful are the rebukes of a friend. Proverbs 27, verse 6. You could take the Hebrew passage and give the New Testament version where it says, Hebrews 10, 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Be careful. Be careful with your words. A friend gives earnest counsel. A friend gives faithful correction. Third thing I would say in terms of a wise use of your words, careful use of your words, a friend will give consistent comfort and encouragement. A friend will sometimes, sometimes, have to say hard things, maybe even what you might call critical things, but that should not be the pattern, but the exception. Friends don't look for the worst in their friends, but they look for the best in their friends. The Apostle Paul had many friends. I really think he did. Not the kind of Facebook friend, but he had good friends. Read, read 
Romans chapter 16, he makes reference to, what, 28 different people. He knows them by name, but there's several ones he calls beloved. I believe he had some real good long-term friendships. And notice how he used his tongue. Without exception, except one church, I think it's the Church of Galatia, or churches in Galatia, I think there are more than one, he begins with encouragement, affirmation. He begins by focusing upon the graces in their lives, not the sins, the graces in their lives. He doesn't ignore sin problems. Think of the Corinthians. He starts off on a high note of commendation in terms of their graces. He doesn't gloss over their divisions. He doesn't pull back from addressing their pride. 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter on love, is really a a strong rebuke in one sense to the Corinthians. They were not loving. They were proud. They were envious of one another. So he's addressing the problem of love. 1 Corinthians 13 is a strong rebuking chapter. It really is. But he starts things off highlighting the positives, affirming the evidence of grace in their lives. If we aim at affirming one another, we will have friends. If we aim at criticizing one another, I don't think you have too many friends. Do you notice the gifts in your friend? The graces in your friend? The talents in your friend? Someone has said encouragement is relational oxygen. Now, there's a difference between flattery and encouragement. Flattery is based upon falsehood or an attempt to manipulate. But if there's true encouragement, true affirmation, friendships thrive. And you can pretty well count on this, that your friend, whoever your friend is, is probably struggling with something every day of their lives. Right? Some disappointment, discouragement, some struggle with sin. As sparks fly upward, a man is born for trouble. We all need hope. We all need comfort. We all need encouragement. Discouragement and disappointments in life can have us looking like sputtering, stalling automobiles. But a few words of encouragement, comfort, can be like octane gas. And suddenly the car engine revs and it's hitting on all eight cylinders. If you have a six-cylinder car, it's hitting on all six. And the rest of the day, that sputtering, struggling brother or sister is running again with a new kind of vigor. 
Mark Twain said, I can live two months on a compliment. If you're going to have long-standing friendships, be intentional, be watchful, be careful. The last thing I would say is this, be thankful. Be thankful. What are you most thankful for? Well, if you're thinking biblically, we should be most thankful for God. We should be most thankful for Christ. We should be most thankful for relationships. We should be most thankful for that friendship we have with Jesus. In light of John 15, the gospel helps us to understand or understood in terms of a friendship. Jesus drives that home in the upper room. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Dr. Packer, in that excellent book, Knowing God, says that we have a great incentive to worship and love God by the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as a friend. Are you thankful that you have God as your friend? Abraham and Moses had God as a friend. That language is used to both of those men. And we should never stop thanking God and stop, stop thanking Jesus that we have him as our friend. But we also should be thanking God for our friendships on a horizontal level. Thankful for the gifts that God has given. If you have your wife friend, you should be thankful for her. If you have men friends, and you should have men friends as well as a wife friend, you should be thankful for them. And women friends, if you're a woman, you should have thankful to God for your women friends, but especially those redemptive friendships. The ones that are going to help you run the race and run it well. And I know friendships can bring pain into your life. Some of the greatest pains in life are relational pains. But some of the greatest joys in life come from friends. Think of the counsel you receive. Think of the needed correction you receive. Think of the comfort, the blessing, blessing upon blessing. Friends are gifts from God, and we should treasure them, appreciate them, and thank God for them. J.C. Ryle put it in a wonderful way. Listen to what he says. The world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam is a friend. Friendships, he says, half our troubles and double our joys. If you're wise, you will seek to have friends and maintain those friendships. And because the gospel of Christ, we can have the best of friendships, right? The best of marriages, long-term friendships and long-term marriages. When the storms come and they will come, when the winds blow and they will blow, the Bible says there is a brother born for adversity and a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, there might be circumstances where your friends just aren't there. Or they're there, but they're really not there in the way they should be there. Remember Job's friends? It's almost hard to call them friends, but 
They, they, they were more of his torturers. But they showed up on his doorstep. Give them credit for that. I mean, they were there. And sometimes that's all you have to do to be a friend. Just be there. Don't have to say anything. And that would have been good. They would have been good friends if they kept their mouth shut. But they opened their mouth and talked 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 and talked. They wouldn't shut up. Jesus' friends deserted him. I mean, I mean, they couldn't even handle an hour in the garden to pray for him. Paul said, all, all have forsaken me. Paul said that. But he did say this, the Lord stood with me. I was telling Pastor Mitch last night, and it struck me over the years that as Jesus gets closer to the cross, and then even on the cross, he, he suffers the greatest kind of, of, of pain, of separation. I mean, everybody leaves him, everybody deserts him, even God forsakes him. And if you and I are going to share in the sufferings of Christ, there's going to be times in our lives that we're going to feel very, very alone. But never completely alone. Christ is always there. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. That's what we should be most thankful for, the friendship of Jesus Christ. And that should be our ultimate focus when we think of friends. How can I be more like Christ, a friend like Christ? And the way I can be more like Christ is knowing him more, drawing closer to him, loving him more, and rejoicing in all that I have because of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word, for its practicality and relevancy for all of life. We thank you for the instruction on this matter of friendship. And we do pray, Lord, that we would take it to heart, rivet these truths into our hearts and minds, and we pray for grace to help us to have friends and to have the grace to maintain and keep those friends, forgive us for the sins that have marred and stained our friendships, but help us, Lord, to learn more what it means to be faithful, true friends. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.